everyone and welcome back to yet another episode of saft podcast we are super delighted that you are here to join us in this very exciting episode as we come to the end of this year now as you know in the past episodes we have been walking through the kalam cosmological argument as part of our lengthy series on natural theology now as a quick refresher the kalam cosmological argument is an argument that shows that if everything began to exist and if everything that begins to exist has a cause and the universe began to exist then the universe must have a cause in the previous episodes we broke down these arguments we this specific argument we went through the different statements and the key elements of this argument some of the common objections and especially in the last episode in the just previous episode in on episode 75 we had our good friend asha john join us as we explored some of the common objections to the kalam cosmological argument and today as i mentioned in the previous episode asha john is one of the two hyper dynamic uh, explosive upcoming apologists of the indian subcontinent and today we are joined by his other half well i mean he's a bachelor so i can say that for now but uh, his elder brother ashish john ashish what a delight to have you on saft podcast yeah it's been a pleasure jacob uh, and so so much delighted as you are to be a part of this podcast um you know i hope you know we'll have an ex- exciting discussion of it and and you know you taking time out to do this amidst your exams is commendable thank you ashish and uh, so let's i mean time is of the essence time is money and with that let's ask the question on time itself so what i want to do the the reason i specifically brought in ashish into this topic is ashish is a physics teacher and uh, whenever there's a question on science specifically when it comes to relates to quantum mechanics or quantum realm or physics or something as simple as uh, measuring the speed of light in a vacuum and all of that i turn to ashish and we have had some lengthy conversations where ashish tries to break down things for this non science commerce background mind of mine so in this episode what we want to focus in in is on a very complex topic a topic that almost leaves um, even moderate readers into apologetics want to take a step back it is a question on nature of time and you may wonder okay what is this doing with the kalam cosmological argument well the reason is it is often alleged that a nuance in the understanding of the nature of time a varied understanding of the nature of time presents itself as an objection to the validity to the question of did the universe begin to exist and that this understanding of time some claim overflows into even the first premise of some in some format so we want to unpack what is happening with the relation of time and how we can engage and continue to engage in using the kalam cosmological argument with whatever we can glean from knowing about the essentials of the nature of time the different theories of time and so on and so forth and ashish was my go to person to help us alleviate these queries so ashish let me ask you um, a question that is going to leave that left myself included when i was thinking about this question um, clueless what do we mean by time and once you define what time is can you tell us how we measure time right so jacob that's a very interesting question and it's a very um, you know time seems to be a very uh, familiar concept but at the same mm-hmm. time time happens to be a, 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 a pretty much difficult to explain in fact it's almost impossible to explain and theologians and philosophers and the modern day physicists have been wondering you know what exactly is time uh since time immemorial right so yeah. uh craig somewhere uh, uh, you know remarked that i i i think craig was quoting somebody else and craig said uh, the 
if you want to know how important a philosophical concept is, you have to check the amount of nonsense um, that is written about it. And Craig says that uh, time is you know, up there. It's only next to God. And so mm-hmm. everybody has some opinion of what time is. Uh, but I'm afraid that today, to the question, what is time? Maybe I also cannot give you a definitive answer. And, you know, but we sense time because we sense, we have a sense of events progressing because we observe change, right? And right. if you look at the history of, um, you know, Western thinking, Aristotle was probably the first person who defined something that's very close to our current definition. Um, you know, it says mm-hmm. the calcu- calculable measure of motion with respect to before and afterness. So that was Aristotle's mm. definition. And this continued uh, for, you know, roughly uh, maybe uh, two millennium right? until mm. Einstein came in the 20th century and tried to redefine what is time. Now, the right. second question that you asked is, you know, how do we measure time? All right. Uh, you know, we measure time. You two clocks and watches uh, and various other devices, you know, historically or ancient times we had maybe sundials and, you know, water was used as, um, as, a, as to measure, sand clocks were used. So all these devices, oh. they have some periodicity in it, right? So mm. pendulums, for example, yeah. pendulum makes, yeah. uh, you know, exactly one, one complete, rota- uh, uh, you know, one complete cycle, uh, oscillation, as you call it in physics, um, in a unit time. So we can use that mm. as a measurement for time. And there is also a psychological, um, you know, intuition that you have regarding time. So, for example, you know that, you know, you know about when you talk about events, you know that certain events mm. occurred, uh, you know, before you know, some other events, and certain events mm. occurred after some some events. So, you have this right. psychological sense of time, and then you have, uh, you know, these these things that you can use to measure time, um, although not in a very fundamental sense. But I think I'm making sense there, right? Yeah. And the elusive nature of trying to figure out what time is, how to measure and the complexity of it, it gets all the more exacerbated when we talk of things like atomic clocks, clocks that are measuring time with such extreme accuracy. And yes, granted, it's for a fact that these topics are going to be beyond the reach of a common layman to grasp. But when we talk about the Big Bang Theory, and I've also often quoted this quote from Stephen Hawking where he says, time itself must have had a beginning. And that is a very radical statement for a non-theist, especially for someone outspoken as an atheist voice, someone like Stephen Hawking to say, right, when he says that time itself must have had a beginning and that has a lot of um, consequences that follows, a lot of follow-up questions that would place him off in a back foot because of the repercussion that has for an atheist to make. But the question that came to my mind as, as, a, as a person who has absolutely zero clue of the complexity of understanding time and calculating it and the mathematical complexity that go behind it is, can we really say that we figured out how to prove that time began to exist? Like, is, is that possible for us to do? Isn't that, isn't that too vast a claim to say that we have proved that time actually began to exist? What actually goes about in that? So from a physics perspective, um, when physicists are talking about time, you know, they're not talking in the sense that um, as we are, or, or as philosophers talk about it in some sense, because when you say that time is real and time is not real, 
what mm. for a physicist uh, it would mean whether the fundamental equations uh, would mm. have a, would have time in it that's what we mean so mm. uh, you know okay. physicists have this weird idea of um, a grand theory that they would discover in future you know would mm. that would explain all all of physical reality yeah. in some sense so mm-hmm. the question that they are asking when they are talking about uh, when they ask you the question is is time real the real question mm-hmm. that they are looking at is is time real in the sense that would our fundamental nature of reality consist time or is time an emergent mm-hmm. property so now mm-hmm. here different people have different opinions you know majority of physicists uh, nowadays would say that well you know time is not fundamentally real okay although we experience time um it's not fundamentally real but at least right. in the last few decades uh, there has been a counter opinion that has been emerging and some of them are like the smartest uh, physicists now for example i can quote lee smolin here uh, he wrote a book called time reborn and he is he says that i'm quoting this from him he says time is the most fundamental thing that you can think about so uh, he is one who uh, you know who was a pioneer of this theory called as loop quantum gravity um hmm. uh, you know there are problems with general theory of relativity that needs to be addressed and therefore you know, some people came about with this this theory of loop quantum gravity uh, and uh, recently when i was you know a couple of years ago when i was interested in this topic i happened to stumble upon uh, a guy called as a physicist uh, from geneva if i'm not wrong called uh, nicolas jissen Uh, and jisin is actually a brilliant physicist he um you know he uh, he wrote couple of papers on the reality of time i think uh, paper is titled um, you know does time really flow something uh, to quote this from an article uh, so nicolas jisin has a um, you know has a opinion that you know again time is real okay it's it's fundamental and he says that uh, the approach to mathematics should change that's when you can actually um you know uh, you know come up uh, with a proper um, you know theory that would hmm. um you know explain a physical reality so this has a, this has been a debate that's been going on for maybe in the physics world for maybe um you know since the time of um einstein uh, hmm. regarding the nature of time and it's still right. continuing right. and there are there are these two camps although at present uh, you know hmm. the existence most physics would physicists would generally tend to think that time is an you know illusion or something like that but there mm. are still uh, some brilliant other physicists who would think that in fact it is it is fundamental and real to uh, the 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 nature of the universe right and to say that time is an illusion it it's it's quite a difficult position to hold in in terms of how we experience our day to day living i'm reminded of when um, anthony flew called out uh, hume he was saying that hume would be in his in a study in a study room in his office and he would make this very claims about truth and relativity and all of that and then he once steps out of that study once he step out of the room in reality he would not take such a relativist position i think that's that's seen quite rampant even in our dialogues with atheism also that it's to hold on to position they would make some some rampant claim and then but the moment we try to apply it in our real life it is quite difficult to make sense of the fact that that is really true and i think the same can be said about time as to say time is an illusion but how do you make how do you apply that in your day to day living how do you make sense of your raw encounter with reality uh, but again that would take us too far off field a discussion on that 
now when we talk about time one phrase that keeps up coming up is the term is the for phrase or term terminology space time continuum what is space time continuum mean and what does that basically tell us about the universe so space time con- continuum uh, to understand what the term actually means you have to go a little bit into the history of physics so 100 years ago uh, before you know einstein published his famous paper hmm. you know the physics that existed was uh, classical physics or you know newtonian physics so in newtonian right, physics right. uh mm, yeah so in newtonian physics uh, time is independent uh, you know um you know it is outside the frame of reference so any observer mm-hmm. in any frame would perceive time uh, you know equally i mean equally or in the same manner i, I must say uh, but what happened with uh, einstein is that of course it's not as if einstein just came about and uh, you know gave his paper classical physics were, was having some problems uh, for roughly maybe um, two or three decades that was was they were trying to resolve it and uh, you know it was not happening and then finally einstein came up with this brilliant idea and then so in his paper uh, the idea that he suggested was you know you cannot um, see time as outside of space right mm. you have three dimensional space and then you have mm. a fourth dimension if you want to call it that way a fourth dimensional right. time so every mm. observer you know uh, so see all of this is uh, it's not just space it's space time continuum and time is uh, not absolute for all frames of reference so each observer um, in a frame of reference would view time differently hmm. so and maybe if you if you want me to elaborate a little bit i know that frame of reference and all these things could be uh, maybe a, yeah. a new concept to some of our viewers so uh, maybe uh, frame of reference is just basically um, let's say i am sitting here and i'm looking at these things so all the events that are happening here with respect to my rest frame is my frame of hmm. reference, right okay. uh, so a person who is outside uh who is um you know going on a car right mm. uh he's at he's moving at some velocity this is an example that i like to give my students so uh, i mm. ask them you know what what happened what will happen if i throw a ball up and uh, uh, where would it land and they would say okay it will land on my hand right uh, and then i ask the question uh, what if i'm in a train and i do the same thing right you are standing outside mm. the train in a platform and you're watching me throw a ball up right um and what do you think will happen so if the train is moving with a very constant speed uh, then the ball will definitely lo- land back on my hand right although it's not very mm-hmm. intuitive when you think of it that way because some students would tend to answer that this ball should go back right so these mm-hmm. are different frames of reference that you look in one is in motion and one is at rest so einstein uh, newton said that time would uh, be absolute there is an absolute frame of reference where time uh, you know time um, is is absolute in the sense that both the observers for both the observers uh, you know time passes on equally but einstein right. came and said no that's not the case it's space time continuum because space and time is kind of wrapped up together uh, you cannot separate mm-hmm. it uh, did i make sense or you know was it too much yeah i mean you've you've actually mentioned this these same examples to me when i was also asked you the question of the 
figuring out time and speed of light and all of that so when you were mentioning this all of this was coming coming back to my mind as a refresher um, and there is obviously uh, there's a lot to go through when we try and answer any of these questions but now we are coming to the this was just sort of like an intro into to get your brains sort of like a, um, an ice breaker for your brains in this intellectual talk um, to get into now the key of what we want to cover and i think we have um if i look at the time i think we have around uh, 20 25 minutes on our hand to get through the next bit of what we have and that comes down to the theories of time now for most of us this is going to be brand new but ashish what are the two theories of time well uh, we have the a theory of time and the b mm-hmm. theory of time the a theory of time is uh, sometimes referred to as presentism although i think presentism right. is one view among the a theorists um and mm-hmm. the b theory of time is actually called as um, eternalism so mm-hmm. in the a theory of time a theory of time is what a lay person who has never heard about any theories of time would hold on mm-hmm. to uh, you know a theory like um, you know it's called as the common sense notion of time where the present is mm-hmm. now when we are actually uh, doing this thing the past has already happened it's no longer there mm-hmm. and the future Uh, is yet to happen so right. right that's the a theory of time um the b theory of time is um is it's something like you know the past present and future all exist mm. together you know um an right. example that, that's commonly used is a, a ruler right a, a ruler mm. would start from 1 1 inch 2 inch 3 inch 4 inch so two right. comes after one and three comes after two but all of them exist simultaneously or at the same time right mm. so you mm. so mm. all events that has happened in the past that is happening in present and that will happen in the future all of them exist uh, you know in 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 some real sense uh, mm. the only way you can talk about events is you know in in a sense that earlier than and later than right, right. Uh, that's right. how you talk about events uh in um the b theory of time and this a and b distinction why do we call them a and b that's because of uh, a philosopher by the name of j e m mcgregor and his a series and b series right so he is written mm-hmm. a paper called as the unreality of time if i'm not wrong yeah um mm-hmm. and that's where this terminology comes in a theory and b theory so uh, that's 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 a short uh, introduction into the a theory and b theory of time Right. So, uh, to recap for our audience, the A theory of time tells us that the present that we are experiencing, the each moment in the present is real. The past no longer exists; it is no longer there, and the future has not happened yet. But on the B theory, every moment that we can conceive, our past, present, and future all exist as real, and and they really do exist right now. So, the B theory of time would be more like how space exists. Right? California is there right now. it's just a matter of it being this many kilometers far away from me um but it is there and in the same way in the b theory of time tomorrow actually exists it is just this many moments away from me right now but it is actually real there i think that would intrigue a lot of people to think oh well is time travel possible on b theory of time because you just have to devise a mechanism that can traverse these many moments and get you to the future um faster than it would take you like 24 hours to get there but again that that would take us too far off field Now you said that the eighth theory of time is the common sense notion of time. It's what we all understand. The past is no longer there. The future has not come yet, and only the present is here. But 
what do you think is true and why do you think one theory is true and the other is false if you could just quickly breeze us through that in in a couple of minutes right so um no i'm not an expert on time uh, neither i'm a philosopher um you know who can comment very um you know um, in a very authoritarian manner in a in a very um, i don't know i don't know which word to use there authoritative manner would be the correct word right, to right, use yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but anyway as a as a layman and as a layman apologist um you know my so how i think about it um you know i lean towards the a theory of time because hmm. common sense um, theory of time um secondly hmm. um my problem um um and the reason why i take the bait a theory of time to be much more um you know logical and would tend to reject the b theory of time has to do with free will now mm. uh, we 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 might not get into free will um in this video or maybe sometime later but to keep it short um if the b theory of time is true then uh, probably the future exists in some real sense and if the future already exists then you got no free will right and that's that's not very i mean that's not very i won't say it's easy to digest but i would say i have other arguments that would support uh you know why we have free will and maybe i want i not get into that uh, but because of free will you know i don't think um, b theory of time um, is a valid picture of reality a theory of time is a common sense notion of time um is what we experience we all know as you know in fact nicola jessen uh, the one person that i just quoted uh, about his idea of time he makes a very interesting uh, you know he says something like this i'll just quote that for you he says i am a physicist who has my feet on the ground time passes we all know that so everybody knows that time indeed passes it's a very uh, it's it's something that is real you know that's happening so that's why a theory of time is common sense now the problem is maybe we'll get into that people tend to think that science has somehow proved the b theory of time and that's not the case you know uh, although modern physicists would lean to uh, uh, an uh, eternalism and those kind of ideas but uh, you know there are equally good arguments to back up a theory of don't get me wrong here you know it's not an anti scientific position that i'm taking uh, it is much more of a philosophical position that i'm taking um you know and you have good arguments to back it up as well okay so that is a lot of fascinating tough uh, matters to take in and um so what what i would want to clear up is how does the general theory of relativity and uh, special theory of relativity play into this discussion because some say that the special theory of relativity is a proof or it favors the b theory of time and that may come off as a challenge to the a theory because when before us for someone like me i don't know what is the difference between general and special theory of relativity whether one is true or whether one is false but when someone says oh here is an established theory um in science that favors one theory for a layman it comes off as okay what to say next now i know that answering that would take us down a rabbit hole of answering so many details but if you were to sift through it and give us an abbreviated response and answer to walk through what would it be well um, people tend to think that einstein's um, special theory and general theory is some sort of a proof 
uh, for A theory and B theory. But what you should be understanding is that the A theory and B theory and that discussion existed, uh, you know, long before uh, Einstein's idea or Einstein's theory comes into the picture. Uh, then again, you know, you also have to understand that the 1905 paper that Einstein wrote, uh, you know, he was working it on an absolute understanding of time. That is an A theory of time. Uh, it was only, I think, uh, uh, Minkowski who's, who kind of, you know, interpreted um, the special theory and who kind of formulated um, things in physics uh, where he actually approached it from a B theory sense. Uh, right. That does not prove that it's Einstein's special theory of relativity is not a proof for the B theory, right? In fact, if mm -hmm. you talk about um, the current Nobel Prize, which was given to um, John Clauser and uh, Alain Aspect, and there was one more person, I forgot his name, uh, they were working on Bell, Bell inequality and uh, it, I'm not allowed to get into Bell equality, and um, there is actually, uh, you know, a quantum entanglement, and uh, there is a case where uh, where you actually took entangled particles if you take them far apart, you know, and if you were you know if you try to um, uh, you know observe a particular uh, value, or if you were to uh, you know, experimentally determine a value of one one of the properties of the uh, of the one one of those particles. The other particle would uh, you know collapse and give you the result. And this is only possible in terms of the A theory of time. All right. Uh, so there are areas in physics that uses the A theory of time. In fact, even for even in quantum mechanics, we have we have to assume. Of course, there are different interpretations of how you view quantum mechanics. Uh, but you have to assume that, you know, at least in some sense, there is time that flows. Right? For example, if you observe a particle, uh, you know, the particle's wave function would collapse, and that's an irreversible process. Mm -hmm. So you, you are actually, you know, making some sort of a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a cause and effect thing. Mm -hmm. And that would imply that time is indeed flowing. So there are areas in physics that requires a treatment of or an understanding of the A theory. Right. And this is one of the major disagreements between Einstein's theory of relativity and um, uh, you know quantum mechanics. It does not fit together. One of the reasons is because the fundamental nature of time uh, is not hmm. similar in these two theories. Hmm. Um, uh, in Einstein's theory, you know, you have uh, time as as a part of space, space hmm. time, mm -hmm. but yeah. that's not the case with uh, um, you know in quantum mechanics. There is no uh, you know observable called time. So so when people raise this objection, hmm. it's because they don't have a correct understanding about. I won't say physics because I've heard you know good brilliant physicists also raising up this issue. It's because they don't have a correct understanding of what time. Um, you know, the correct philosophical understanding and its relation to uh, physics and reality. And also, mm. they don't understand uh, it in a sense when philosophers use time, what, what are they talking about? And what was Einstein talking about? And so the, these things are, you know, quite complicated and uh, people, you know, language becomes a barrier. And that's, 
that's some of the reason why you get these repeated uh, you know objections against um, you know the a theory right right i hope right. i mean yeah. yes yes and here comes the crux of this episode and it's coming towards the end but the crux is the kalam cosmological argument works on the a theory of time and dr craig also in his book reasonable faith in the chapter that he dedicates to the kalam cosmological argument talks about how the argument works on the a theory of time but now my question to you is um does the kalam cosmological argument as we are familiar with you know, as presented dr craig's work does that version of the argument work on the b theory of time and if it doesn't work if that is a case that it does that specific format doesn't work has there been work from any other philosopher or scientist to make the kalam or a variation of it work on the b theory of time all right so most of the people tend to think that the kalam does not work on the b theory of time and the reason for that is because craig is a proponent of the a theory of time and craig gives a good amount of logical reasoning and you know sound logical logical reasoning to accept the a theory of time mm. and these ideas are crucial when he talks about uh, whether god is temporal or timeless and these things and i believe the book where he defends uh, his ideas is that called time and eternity yeah yeah he has he has done a major work in the book time and eternity yeah time and eternity time and eternity right yeah where he actually defends his views on a theory uh but when you're talking about kalam the only place where the a theory comes into a picture is where um he talks about this infinite regress mm. right um i think for the premise two he gives an argument yes. from the infinite regress and that's where the a theory comes into picture because you're talking about you know events uh that come mm. into existence so that is where um where craig is actually using the a theory but that does not mean that the kalam in itself uh, requires um you know the a theory is the prior requisite for kalam to be true in fact you can have a very sound uh, argument uh, for kalam in the b theory term even andrew mm. lok um, has done work mm. on it i have not all yeah. through his work but uh, you know he he states that his the is formulation of the kalam does not require uh, you know Uh, you know does not favor a or b mm-hmm. theory uh, irrespective of mm-hmm. which theory of time that you hold on to the theory works uh, absolutely right. fine but an interesting paper i found out um, you know in, in when i was interested in these topics uh, a few years ago was one was one by, uh, was by curtis metcalf uh, he he it's not a very rigorous paper because it does not recognize a phd thesis or anything like that he was actually a master student and he was it was his master thesis um if i'm not wrong so uh, he actually frames uh, the kalam in the b theory mm-hmm. of time where you can actually avoid objections that um uh, you know come uh, against the a theory of time so premise one goes something like this anything with time that has a moment t1 at which it is indexed as having existence plus no moments indexed as prior to t1 at which it has existed as a cause so what Uh, the first premise is saying is that see when we are talking about um, the b theory we are talking about index facts right so if you are talking about some uh, you know some moment t at which some index fact is existing and also it does not exist uh, prior to that you know you cannot say before that it exists prior to that 
moment T1, then it mm. must have a cause. So the second premise would be the universe is within time and has moment T1 at which it is indexed and has having existence, uh, plus no moment indexed that's prior to T1 at which it existed. So the universe exists within an indexed uh, uh, or is indexed between some time frame and beyond uh, prior to that mm -hmm. time T, it is not existing and therefore the universe right. must have a cause. So that's how the flow of that argument happens. So even if you're saying that you don't agree to the A theory of time, what, you know, you know, it doesn't change anything because um, at least the universe, the space time and everything began to exist. If I were to use mm. the word began and, uh, you know, even if that happened, you know, it happened at some moment, okay, before right. which it was not there, right? So if it oh. happened at some moment before it, which did not exist, hmm. then it should have a cause. Now, happened hmm. at a moment before it did not existed is again yes. terminologies that you would uh, take over from the A theory of time. But just to make sure that, you know, our viewers also will follow hmm. what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, you still need to have a cause. And the beauty about the B theory is that, not the beauty, I would say, because, you know, there could be objections on the B theory of time also. But one advantage, I would say, is that you have these mm. Al-Ghazalian, uh, you know, yes. paradoxes, you know, where uh, when you're talking to uh, people uh, who oppose the club, they would always come mm. up with the Hilbert-Sortel and infinite regress. Mm. And, uh, you know, when we throw up Hilbert-Sortel, they would come up arguments against, you know, um, that reasoning. Yeah. And this goes on back and forth. But if you're talking about, uh, or if you're talking of Kalam in the, perfectly in the sense of the theory of time, these kind of objections would mm. not have any value here. Because now we are not talking about uh, time going from a moment to moment, right? Or events happening at a moment and not happening at a later moment or you know, ceasing to exist, coming into existence, existing and ceasing to exist. We are not talking about uh, mm -hmm. time in that sense. So what happens is such kind of objections uh, would have hold no phase value in a B theory term. That is one of the advantages of B theory of, of using Kalam in a B uh, hmm. with the B theory of time. But again, it's wrong to assume that, you know, you need the A theory of time for Kalam to work. That's not true. Uh, and uh, that, that doesn't okay. hold you up. All right. And yeah, that is actually a whole lot covered um, in the few minutes. And we are at the very last end of this podcast. And I'm going to club two questions together. And actually, if you can answer that in, let's say, three to four minutes, that would be splendid. And this is where I think this question is going to relate a lot to a lay people audience. And this was a question that was bugging my mind for a long time also. But how do I as a lay person handle an objection on from the B theory of time when it comes to me when I'm talking about the Kalam? So that's the first question. How do I handle an objection from the B theory of time as a lay person? And the other question is, and sort of like an offshoot, how much about the B theory of time should I know before I can confidently use the Kalam? Okay, so Jacob, when I started... You know, the first time I heard the Kalam argument was when I, it was also the first time that I happened to listen to uh, Dr. William Lane Craig. It was his debate with Christopher Hitchens and where he presented the Kalam cosmological argument. It, it, it was quite impressive. And uh, the excellent thing about Dr. Craig is how he's able to, you know, even though he's a philosopher mm -hmm. of the highest standard and quality, he's, he's one of the, probably one of the best philosophers who is out there. You know, he has this wonderful talent of explaining complicated things in a very simple manner. So 
for me, I I was not introduced to any of these ideas. This was probably uh, roughly around 2013 or something. Um, and I was impressed by the argument that I was not aware of the A theory, B theory mm-hmm. distinctions. These, you know, I was not into college at that time. Uh, so for me, it was a very, very logical and commonsensical argument. And that's why Kalam right. works yeah. so. Now, like, whenever you yeah. present this to an atheist, uh, whenever you present this to an atheist, for, what happens is if the atheist has never heard about the Kalam, hmm. in most of the time, or almost in all cases, he is hmm. dumbfounded by the argument. And then what generally would happen is go back to the internet and search about Kalam and then maybe look up against the objections of Kalam and then come up with the beef here, right? So uh, if you are a Christian who is legal to sh- share the gospel and using Kalam, you know, the best way is, you know, equip yourself and you we live in a time of information. You don't have to go anywhere. You, you have the internet, you know, um, there is, you know, you have done, you yourself have done a lot of, couple of videos and articles, uh, you know, on Kalam. Dr. Craig himself, you know, uh, takes time to yeah. respond to objections. Uh, capturing Christianity is there, who, you know, who has a couple of videos on Kalam. I would also ask, uh, you know, um, ask the audience to refer to Dr. Andrew Lowe. You know, I had been listening to him uh, for past com- some time. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, you know, he, he uh, uh, puts out videos uh, on YouTube, you know, at different channels. And uh, so there are these information. And if you're looking into physics and if you want to actually look into the physics side of it, um, you know, want to know about space time. And, you know, there are a lot of good channels who just talk about physics. One of my favorite is Sabine Hausenfelder. Um, I forgot her channel's name. But oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, type her name out. She yeah. has a yeah. lot of... She, has, she hmm. was on Justin Briarley's um, um, one of his podcasts, yes. I think, with Luke Barnes. Um, you know, she has got these beautiful, I mean, she's not a Christian, of course, but she has got these beautiful videos, short videos, where she explores these relations between, you know, physics and philosophy and those ideas. So, a very brilliant uh, physicist as well. So, there are a lot of information out there uh, and, and you can readily equip yourself. Uh, that's my request to all of you who, who, are, lis- who are listening to me. You know, there is information out there free of cost. I mean, it's free of and this is this has never happened in the entire history of humankind. You'd never had so much information free of cost. So please utilize those things and equip yourself is what I would uh, like to. Uh, oh, thank you, Ashish. And that was a great point to conclude um, the whole discussion on this very complex and difficult topic that may put us on a back foot. But that is the whole point of what TCD, SAFT Apologetics and all of the initiatives do. We want to make even more information readily available at your fingertip for free of course so that you can confidently share the gospel, evangelize and give reason for your hope. And so Ashish, once again, thank you so much for being here, taking your time out of your busy schedule and being here with us on SAFT Podcast and helping us walk through this rather uh, intimidating but a, but a problem that we, non, we need not really fuss about too much when we're talking about the Kalam. All right, and thank you all for joining us. Uh, Do check out the Carpenter's Desk. We'll be dropping their channel description and all of the details in the link. And we hope you will check out our previous videos to know more about the Kalam Cosmological Argument. And if you're curious about what all we have done in discussion of this argument in the past. And so we shall see you in the next episode on Christmas Day. Until then, take care and God bless. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy Saft Podcast, do consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And know more about us at www.saftapologetics.com.